Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Chomping After Dark, the podcast where we deep dive into the stories of our favorite video games and the occasional movie or TV show. Today, we have a first, as we are going to be talking about a comic book series. When I heard that there was going to be a limited series about an alternate universe where three of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles died, my childhood winced while my adult self said let's fucking go yes we're going to be talking about the last ronin today i can't wait let me introduce you to the crew that will be joining me today admittedly it is a small but proud crew as i am joined by the polisher of leonardo's swords the punching bag that Raphael uses whenever he needs to blow off steam and April O'Neil's personal foot scrubber, Rich Meister. Rich, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm cowabunga. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was thinking about <laughs> today, because I was thinking about TMNT. I really like the part in the live-action TMNT movie when, like, all the Foot Clan are, like, raiding the Turtles' base, and they tie up Splinter, who's, like, a giant rat, and they're like, weird! But nobody is like uncomfortable by him. <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody is like, oh Nobody freaks out. No, they just grow big in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's weird the way you phrase that, man, because like I, I don't know, maybe they actually phrase this way. Like the last thing I thought about the whole time I was reading this was like this is an alternate reality. And I think a big part of it for me was like this is like the first time in what, over 20 years, uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird have worked together on a Turtles project. So for me, this is like the definitive end of the original Turtles in my head canon. Maybe that, maybe that is it, but um, I know like there was a comic series of the Turtles that was popular years prior. I can't remember how many years because Donatello died in it. And it was such a big deal. And I remember, like, news outlets actually posting this. The co- There's a new Turtles comic book where they kill off one of the Turtles. That, that and... one had a lot of time travel in it, that series. I never got into that one. It's pretty good. It's not quite as good as this is, I think. But again, I, I... this is mm. the original talent coming back. Like, Eastman and Laird, they... It's one of those things where you think back on like that original Turtles issue. Like for anyone who is unfamiliar, when they wrote that first Turtles comic book, like they didn't think anything was going to come of it. They killed Shredder in the first issue because they didn't think there'd be an issue too. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see the history of the Turtles. But one thing I wanted to tell you is that this is only the like first or second comic book series I've ever really gotten into. You've really opened a can of worms here, Shay, because now I feel empowered to do ch- cads about any comic books I want. 
<laughs> I mean, that's not a bad thing at all. I'm, I'm really glad that we're kind of opening the door to more and more things. Like last year, we did a TV show for the first time with Squid Game. And this year, brand new doors opening. And I'm, I'm happy for that. I mean, like, I think that's the cool thing about this, this podcast being separate from the main feed is that we can do some more of this adjacent nerdy stuff. We're doing the Fist of Conchu next. I don't even know what that is. But... It is a really great Moon Knight limited series. Oh, okay. Moon Knight's the uh, the uh, the Marvel thing, right? There's currently a Marvel Moon Knight show that I'm enjoying. Moon Knight is a very undervalued and one of my absolute favorite Marvel superheroes ever. But, no, the only other, I guess, comic, which is more manga than comic, which they're almost the same thing, is uh, Old Wolf and Cub, which is mm-hmm. one of the first mangas here in Japan. Yeah. You know, I think a lot. Yes. Yeah. A a lot of people are very familiar with that. I think there have been about a million adaptations of it. Um, Old Wolf and Cub is actually cited as one of the major inspirations for the Mandalorian kids. Hmm. I actually didn't know that. Well, think about the way that story's framed and it makes sense, doesn't it? I don't know anything about the Mandalorian, but I'll trust you. Uh, Okay. I figured that it seeped through like public consciousness at this point, whether you'd seen it or not. I know that there's Grogu. That's all I know. He's the cub. Oh, okay. That makes more sense then. Okay. Well, I am Donatello's idiot friend, Mikey's half pipe, and Casey Jones hockey puck, Shay Layton. And um, I'm really excited to talk about this game or this game, this comic book series today. Yeah. Really excited. So from this point on, there will be spoilers. If you are concerned about getting spoiled on the plot of the series, turn back now. Go read them, and then please return when you have finished. But now... It's, it's, it's very short. It's a very short run. It is true. Very short. But now, turn the lights down low, slip into something more comfortable, order your favorite cheese pizza, and sip on an exquisitely flavored beverage as we tell you a tale by the fireplace. Issue 1. We see one of the mutant turtles breaking into a city with the weapons of all four turtles on his back. The turtle is talking to his brothers, yet they consistently disappear, hinting that something terrible happened to them. He slinks through the sewer tunnels. As he comes out of an exit, he sets off an alarm. He fights multiple cyborgs, recalling his master Splinter's training. Meanwhile, Oroku Hiroto, or Oroku Hiroto, Shredder's grandson continues to send waves of enemies after him. While talking to himself, he reveals that he had the other turtles killed. He thought he killed them all, but was mistaken. As the turtle is fighting, more advanced cyborgs are sent after him. He ends up battling a massive cyborg, and they are both thrown from a building. He lands and breaks parts of his body. He slinks back into the sewers and finds a secluded part of the sewers. Thinking he can't recover, he plans to commit seppuku, but passes out from blood loss. He has a vision of being with his brothers, but is jostled awake by an elderly April sitting next to his bedside. The comic ends with asking who Michelangelo was just talking to. The big question that everyone wanted to know before this comic dropped its first issue was who was the last 
remaining turtle alive. So do you remember who you predicted it to be, Rich? I did predict at the time that it was going to be Michelangelo. Um, and I think there's like an easy reason for that, because I, I feel like in some degree, Michelangelo is the only turtle that makes sense for um, a story like this, because this wasn't the case when the characters were first conceived. But you contribute a lot of this to like the 80s and 90s cartoons, um, which really stapled who those characters were and michelangelo being the quote party dude um i think in like bigger mediums like comics that took things a little more seriously stapled him as the turtle who had like this relentless optimism and to me it he was the only one that made sense the only one that would be able to like carry on in a super serious story like this yeah i think you're right i think i kind of thought it was going to be michelangelo or mikey because Leonardo and Raph would be like the easy choices there. And Donatello as yeah. like I thought it was like a 70-30 or maybe like an 80-20 like it could still possibly be. Donatello is Donate- my favorite turtle, but I don't think he could carry this story. No, no, he's too like cerebral and he's too like analytical. Mikey yeah, was the obvious choice. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about the story in the first issue? Um, I mean, we knew this was a limited series running in, so I knew I was in regardless, but I think it grips you really good. It sets a tone for this sort of post-apocalyptic world that's kind of being conquered by the foot, um, and I, it, it hooked me immediately. Like, I could not wait for issue two from the minute I read this. Yeah, it was such a strong first issue. Like, they immediately thrust you into the action. Like, it's kind of the the opposite of what we just talked about earlier. They thrust you immediately into the action and then give you the backstory later. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is a good way to tease out a story like this, because the compelling thing is all the questions where you have, I know the status quo of the world of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. How did it get, how did things get this bad? Hmm. I like that. I like that kind Where's of Where's Casey Jones, damn it? I like that kind of storytelling. Um, it's, it's engaging for me personally, so... I, I agree. Excited. There's a reason it's a, a trope that's done a lot uh, with franchises like this, because when done right, it's really compelling. Yeah, and it was done really well here. Um, I like, I like um, the look of the of Mikey as well, because he's like, he looks very savage. Like he doesn't look like the cartoon or the live action versions that you are accustomed to seeing, or even most of the comic books that you're accustomed to seeing. It, it's he's, He's ravaged, but I think it's more akin to like the early comic books, especially that first Eastman and Laird run where before the masks were like a settled thing where you couldn't only really tell the difference between the turtles via their weapons. Hmm. I re- yeah, I really like that. Like they, they did such a good job of like teasing out who it was because you have no idea because literally all the weapons are on his back. And um yeah, you, there's not much of an indication because he looks so fucking savage and haggard. But, like, he's super buff, too, which I loved. Like, he was, like, way fucking massive. Is that akin to what he was like in the originals? Like, super buff like that? Uh, Not quite that size, but they were definitely beefier in that original comic. Okay. 
Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't. I haven't read much, obviously, of the other comics. So. I, I would. I would very much encourage you to check out some of that original Eastman and Laird run. Like, it was a hyper violent comic that was like nothing else on the shelf at the time. And as I said earlier, like a testament to the weird thing those guys were making together. They kill Shredder in issue number one because they did not think they would get an issue two. Hmm. Okay, I'll check it out at some point. It's definitely very easy to find online at this point. I'd, I'd recommend anyone who's interested in the history of the of TMNT to check out that first comic book because it is the thing that introduced them to the world, and they are very different than what the world would come to know them as. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um. All right. Well, let's jump into issue two then, because you know, hell yeah, there's a there's a lot to get to. Issue two. April has a flashback where she and Casey Jones are discussing their engagement. They are waiting for the Turtles to come over to break the news. Raph and the Turtles run in, supporting a wounded Splinter. Donatello reveals that the Foot Clan broke their truce and attacked them. April brings herself back to present day, and she puts on her arm and foot prosthetic. April talks to Casey's mask, jokingly asking for his help and revealing his fate sometime before. We see more of the flashbacks where Raph runs to the foot hideout and starts massacring the troops. Karai, Shredder's daughter, and Raph fight. They both manage to inflict mortal wounds on each other. We see Raph sink to the bottom of the ocean. Back to the present, April and Michelangelo are catching up. Casey, April's daughter, joins them for breakfast. Mikey and Casey officially meet. Oroku Hiroto orders his men to find Michelangelo. Casey and Mikey talk, and Casey admits that she saw him try to commit seppuku. She promises him to not tell April. He tells April of what happened after the other turtles died. He went into the mountains to die, but his mutation kept him alive. Townspeople tortured him, and he allowed it to happen due to his grief. But remembering Splinter's training, he regained his pride. He became a rogue wolf without a clan. He became a ronin. April, inspired by the story, tells Mikey that she and her crew will help him, and he has no choice. So while the backstory of the name of the comic is in typical, predictable, and slightly corny comic book fashion, I still found it incredibly badass. Rich, could you talk with me about the juxtaposition of the most laid-back turtle now becoming the most serious? Uh, I think they paint that picture very effectively, and again, like you said, it's like a little overdone and cliche-y, but it also just works, uh, just kind of giving you the idea of like that low point he reached, where he just kind of resigned himself to die, but his own body would not allow it, and he just kind of shaped him into what he needed to be to come back and stop the foot, and the story of like, you know, a single Ronin taking on an army is very much a been there, done that thing, but this time it's a turtle, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a turtle, and it like... The thing that I think makes it work so well, too, is the fact that we all know Mikey as this just very agreeable, laid-back dude who just likes skateboarding and pizza and wields nunchucks. I mean, he's the coolest one. It's he's the, one the party that, like, dude. Like, if if you were to take a room of, like, a thousand people and you were, were to ask them, like, survey and ask them randomly, 
which turtle would you want to hang out with? Mikey would be the de- definitive winner. Like they, they actually, they would all say Raphael, but they'd be liars. They like Mike. Mikey would be the the choice for most people there. So to see him become the the most serious is really, it's it's a really cool dynamic. It's you don't really see Mikey make any jokes throughout this entire limited series because he is so focused on this one thing. And it's really fascinating to kind of see him embody all of his brothers and master splinters teachings. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the Raphael of my friend group. Fuck you, Jim. You're the Baxter Stockman of your friend group. You suck. <laughs> Fucking Baxter Stockman. That's like when most people think they're the brain, but they're actually pinky. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's right, literally well, like an old i think um one of those click hole quizzes about that where it's like this tmnt quiz just tells you which answers you need to pick to get Raphael. <laughs> i like that i like that no i like the, i want to say one thing here too is like i like issue two a lot but i definitely think it's the it's the one i like the least out of the five because like the first one there is just so much action and it just fucking slams you in the face I also think what probably sets it back and it like as a part of the whole, it definitely works, but it might feel like one of the slowest because the first one sets up so much mystery and then issue two does not answer a whole lot of it. (laughs) No, no, I like they, they answer some questions, but they actually ask more questions. They they raise more than they answer. And like, it's not the stuff you're most like thrilled to know. It's cool to, I remember what I really liked about issue two was the teasing of what happened to Raph and going, okay, so we're going to find out how each of them met their end. Right. Like, that was kind of what established that in my brain. Right. I mean, you find out what happens to Raph and you find out about Korai, which is Shredder's daughter. Yes. And uh, Hiroto Oroku's mother. And you also learn in this issue that basically um, he was able to save her body, but she's catatonic, essentially. And, and for anyone she's who's in a coma. For anyone who's read other Turtles comics, like the the extended family of Shredder has been stuff that is stuff that has been introduced in the past. They just take it into a really interesting direction here. They do, yeah, and um, I mean, so you get some context there, especially if you're like me who hasn't really read um much comics, but you get some context there. But like that also asks or makes you wonder more questions, like who the fuck would sleep with Shredder? Who the fuck wouldn't? <laughs> Rich out here asking the real questions. No, but um, the Foot Clan yeah, is like, dope. They're just a bunch of teenagers stealing stealing toasters and selling them for cigarettes. Right. <laughs> but it makes you like wonder who this who this uh, Casey Jones, the daughter, really is. Like, what her role is to play. What April's role is to play. What happened to the other turtles? Um, what happened to Splinter? I also like that April and Casey had a daughter and named her after her father. Yeah. Like, can you, can she legally be Casey Jr.? I'm not sure what the rules of that are. I think probably. But uh, I feel like it's not because I don't feel like they technically have the same name. I feel like she's probably Cassandra. Hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe. But we never get that. We never get the answer for that. No, we never learn. But this is my headcanon. That's fair. I'll allow it. But yeah, I mean, like, that that's the only issue here is, like, 
the first one is so fast paced and the second one is definitely the slowest paced comic yes yeah for, for sure so just be aware of that if you read these going in like the first one you're it's going to knock your socks off the second one you're going to be like what the fuck a little bit but then it picks back up pretty quickly all right issue three a 16 year old oroku hiroto is anointed the leader of the foot clan due to his mother still being comatose 10 years after her fight with raf he tells his troops to arrange peace with the turtles and splinter back in the present 20 plus years later he tells the people of the city to find Mikey and let the Foot Clan know where he's at, and if anyone is harboring him, they will suffer. He puts the city under martial law. April and Mikey talk, and Mikey learns that April has been working on Fujitoid. We resume the flashback to where Fujitoid and the remaining turtles are talking with April and Casey Jones. One of the commanders of the Foot Clan Baxter Stockman leads a covert assault on the turtles hideout to capture Fujitoid. Casey and Leo hold them off while the others attempt to escape. Fujitoid tells the commander he will self-destruct before he lets himself be taken or his friends hurt. The commander sends a bunch of spider bots to self-destruct, killing Casey Jones and Leo in the process. Back in the present, Casey and her crew are attacked. They scatter, and Casey attempts to get back to warn April. April tells Mikey that after the explosion of the past, the same one that also took her arm and leg, she had to learn to walk again while being pregnant. During that time, the Foot Clan took over the city. Mikey tells April after the bomb, he hazily ended up boarding a plane to Japan to try and save Donatello and Splinter. April tells Mikey of her plan to attack Baxter's hideout to disable Oroku Hiroto's network. They will do it by activating Fujitoid, who is currently dormant. April shows Mikey her armored vehicle, which will be used to infiltrate Baxter's hideout. While not a lot of action happens in this issue, there is a ton of backstory and lead up to the next issue where stuff is definitely going to go down. Is this backstory and build up dump common and comics rich and how does this one kind of stack up to the others you've read in the past absolutely this is a thing comics do all the time it is typically like a leading to a penultimate issue thing where you're it's a lot of set dressing and stage setting and as far as that stuff goes i eat it up because i'm a fucking idiot and i think i think it's done to very great effect here this is like the hype issue you're getting a lot of exposition you're laying a lot of groundwork for a big confrontation Hmm. I like. I don't mind it. You know, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not my favorite. It's not terrible either. I will say this. I um. This is slightly related. I watched. There's this new anime movie on Netflix called Bubble. I don't know. If I've you've been seen meaning it. to watch this. I was somebody was telling me about this today. I'm probably gonna watch it after we finish up here. So I watched it a few days ago, and it's all right. It's all right. Um. There's some really good qualities about it. But one of the things that I notice that happens in anime a lot um, is that the way they disseminate or uh, impart that story to people. And so what happens in the very beginning of that anime is basically um, there's this thing in the city called battle parkour. Naturally. And one of the characters is like, oh, 
I don't always quite understand the rules. Can you explain it to me? And it's the way that, like, they impart that knowledge to the audience. Like, there's no natural way to do that. Right. Yes. I can't. There's a specific term for it. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head right now yeah there is a a script writing terminology for it it's usually why like video games and stuff have like a cypher character or or why the exposition of the fish out of water character like your protagonist needs to have no familiarity with the setting so they can justify in explaining it to the audience right exactly exactly and that's kind of what happens here i mean with i mean some in some ways comic books sometimes mirror games and vice versa and that's Games, the case film it, it, yeah all that those versions those elements of storytelling seep into every medium right and this is why i'm okay with the way that the story is told because if they're constantly whiplashing you between action and backstory and action and backstory and action and backstory that would feel much more jarring i think than having some action in the beginning to get you interested and then giving you enough backstory to get you interested in the final conflicts that are about to take place mm-hmm. um I think I'm more okay with that, uh, much more okay with that than the constant whiplash of something like a back and forth. And I don't mind because like a lot of the backstory in this issue is really interesting. But I will say that for as much backstory as it gives you, I don't think that there was enough given into Fujitoid because I'm not familiar enough with Fujitoid to really understand why it's a big deal or why i should care too much the comic book does a decent job of that obviously for someone new like me but i at the same time i still didn't really care that much about fujitoid um uh yeah this is not the first place fujitoid has appeared right um is kind of the thing so like uh i want to say the 2012 series used fujitoid a lot um I, I'm not, like, super brushed up on that, so I can't really speak. Okay. Like, I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Like, I do in some ways, but not enough to speak confidently on it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, like, I think that's one of the weaknesses of this this comic series is that there are times where I think it doesn't necessarily expect you to, but you would get a lot more out of it. And I mean, like, exponentially a lot more out of it if you have a lot of knowledge of the prior series i don't i get what you're saying and i do agree with it to a point but as someone who's like read comics for a long time and i think it really depends on where you're coming from i often look at that as a strength because i go like these stories work on their own but there's this added element for people that have kept up for all this time right and fujitoid was a big part of the idw uh tmnt comics for a long time yeah yeah exactly i mean I think from my limited understanding, that is kind of the nature of comics. Yes. It's the reason uh, big comic companies like Marvel and DC do those like big resets every once in a while where they're like, here's a new number one for Spider-Man. Here's a new number one for Moon Knight. And there's a new status quo. Like the familiar elements are here, but we're kind of starting over. And the Mm. Turtles have done that plenty of times, too. Yeah, it makes sense. There have been so many Turtles comic issues. So... That makes sense. I think I think that is a little bit of a detriment at times, but at the same time, there was enough there for Fujitoid to where I could be moderately interested in that aspect, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, let's jump into issue four then. We're rolling right along here. You got it. 
This one is probably the biggest and lengthiest explanation. I'm sorry. So be strapped in for this one. I'll decide if I forgive you afterwards. Okay. Mikey, Casey, and the crew storm the beach to Baxter's hideout, but they are pinned down. We see a flashback where Mikey and Casey fight for the first time. Casey as in Casey the daughter. Mikey defeats Casey with ease and tells her she needs training. He offers to be her teacher and she calls him sensei. April is immediately grateful. Mikey tells April what happened in Japan. He searched for clan Hamato or Hamato, Splinter's clan. In the wilderness, he found the clan who led him to the village. There he met Master Shinichiro. Mikey begged to know where Splinter and Donnie were. Shinichiro told Mikey of his own flashback. The two arrived with news of the truce. They went to meet the Foot Clan representatives, but learned they were deceived. <laughs> Oroku Hiroto reveals his deception and attacks. Splinter, Donnie, Shinichiro, and the Hamato Clan hold their own until Hiroto calls in the archers. Splinter throws his sword and pierces Hiroto, but Donnie and Splinter are killed by the arrow volley. Shinichiro offered for Mikey to stay with the clan, but Mikey rejected. He took Donnie's staff and Splinter's book and walked towards the mountain. Mikey stayed on the mountain training until he went back to the city. Mikey reveals he knows that Casey has powers. April tells Mikey that she received powers from her and her father, Casey, who were exposed to the mutagens through the turtles. April makes Mikey promise to keep it a secret for now. The good guys formulate their plan to storm Roosevelt Island, where Stockman's hideout is. Stockman and Hiroto are only working together for common interests, but they don't like each other. The good guys are barely holding on when Stockman sends out Mousers, small robots that can chew through any substance. April arrives in the vehicle to send out an EMP and disables them all. They blast through the wall of Stockman's hideout and April plugs Fujitoid into the complex. He releases a blast, killing Stockman, disabling the compound, and disabling the nanobot swarm. All of the Foot Clan's cyberbots are disabled in the city. The city people start to revolt and the heroes are seen staring at Hirato's hideout, contemplating their next move. So, sorry for the much longer bit of story here, but a ton happened in this issue. We finally see Honeycut, aka Fujitoid. April, Casey, and Mikey get some revenge and justice. To be honest, with all the backstory and explanation of the plan interlaced within the invasion of Roosevelt Island, I felt the lead-up to the end a bit lackluster. Rich, how did you feel about it? Um... I don't know if I'd go as far as lackluster. Like, it could have maybe been a little... There there could have been a little bit more going on there. But um, part of that might, again, be the way I kind of am accustomed to the way comic stories are told. Um, it wasn't exactly firing on all cylinders, but I, I think it was doing what it... I was doing the heavy lifting where it needed to. That's fair. I mean, like... There was just... Uh, this is the one issue that does that constant back and forth between like action, backstory, action, backstory. And it felt like it was really going to build up to something super epic. And the fight, the fight, um, 
is okay. Like the fight up into the compound. I guess it's not as satisfying because maybe it's showing like the grittiness of this final conflict that there's no like epic fight between Mikey and anybody that like they're hanging on by the skin it's of their teeth. It's just kind of clumsy and brutal. Yeah. But I think and there's an, a certain elegance to that. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's not bad. It's just that I, I thought that there was going to be more of like Mikey just like dueling and you know what? That's okay because we do get that in the final issue. So it can, it can be a little bit lackluster here in terms of that kind of fighting because war is not always that, you know, it rarely is. Yeah. I also want to discuss the Hamato clan or how would you say Hamato? Hamato? I believe it's Hamato. It's probably Hamato, yeah. Um, As a casual fan of TMNT up to this point, I knew next to nothing about them. It was kind of cool to see them in this comic, which makes me want to look more into them. So, anyways, Rich, how do you know, or how much do you know about the Hamato clan, and how do you like their depiction here? Um, I know a decent chunk. I mean, not as much as someone who's like kept up with Turtles comics forever, but I've read a bunch of the IDW stuff here and there over the years, and they have definitely been explored in the past there. Um, and I think they add some nice flavor text to like Splinter and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and I think they do a good job of it here, especially if it intrigued you enough to like get you curious about going back to older TMNT comics. Then I think they did a great job. Yeah, I mean, like. To be honest with you, I I knew nothing about these characters, and um, or sorry, not this character. Well, yeah, I guess characters plural, and this clan, and yeah, just the 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 little bit of lore that they got in here, I was like, whoa, shit, this this is really cool. Not something that has been explored much in like the main TV show or anything like that, or the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. So. Yeah, yeah, I I really enjoyed the way that they were implemented in the story, and um, I think it'd even be cool to kind of see like a like I don't know if this exists, maybe it does, an offshoot where it focuses on this clan. Um, I wouldn't be. I don't know that there is something like that. I also would not be shocked to learn that something like that exists. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really cool, but um, who knows? I yeah, I just really liked. I really like them. I did not expect them to be a major part of these or even a part at all of these comic uh, books. And it was good. It was really refreshing, I would say. Absolutely. All right. You know what time it is, Rich? What time is it? Mad Dash time. Let's do it. All right. This is the, the final bit. Issue five. Let's go. Do it. The final issue opens up with the other three turtles accosting Mikey for sitting around instead of attacking Hiroto. He is tired of them always telling him what to do, and he tells them to leave once and for all. He sneaks out to attack Hiroto as to avoid anyone else he cares about getting killed. Meanwhile, a mob has formed, causing flooding in the lower city. Hiroto can't reach Stockman and orders his troops to find Mikey. Casey goes to find her mother in the hideout before she drowns. She finds Splinter's journal, which was left by Mikey. April tries to get the power back on to stop the flooding. She reveals to Casey that due to April's and Casey's the father's close contact with the turtles, that Casey the daughter's DNA mutated due to the mutagens. Casey leaves to help Mikey. 
Mikey storms Hiroto's building, Rambo-style. He lays waste to most of the human guards. He is barraged by a brutish guard, some synthetic crows, and an old winged robot. After defeating them all despite multiple injuries, he faces Hiroto. Hiroto dons his liquid metal armor. Before he attacks, he kills his catatonic mother. Mikey and Hiroto fall multiple levels as their fight goes on. The Resistance tells Casey that they can't reach April, so she goes back to help. Swimming through the flooded hideout, she finds April still working on the power systems. Mikey finally manages to damage Hiroto by using Raph's say. He uses Leonardo's broken sword and Donatello's staff to deal more damage. Hiroto stabs Mikey in the abdomen, causing Mikey to flee to the sewers. As they battle in the waters, April gets the systems back online, purging the water and washing the two away. They continue to battle in the shallow water outside of the sewer. As Mikey goes to deal the finishing blow, Hiroto sets off an electric discharge, killing himself and mortally wounding Mikey. Casey and April find Mikey. Mikey tells Casey to read through Splinter's journal and follow his teachings before he passes. Mikey awakens as a younger version of himself surrounded by his brothers, which is actually, I just realized as we were doing this, the same exact dream that he has in the very first issue. Yes. They go to the top of a building and are joined by Splinter and Casey Jones, who enjoy the view together. In the epilogue, Casey trains per Splinter's teachings. She and April are seen raising four new baby turtles. So I have a lot of questions here, Rich. First and foremost, how did you feel about the final showdown? I liked it. I thought it was the right amount of over the top um, and just like good sheer bra combat, but also like over the top with like weird liquid metal armor and shit in all the right ways. Yeah, I was like, there's got to be something weird here. And the liquid metal armor was pulled out. And I was like, there's no fucking way Mikey wins here. And of course, he kind of does. He's got to. He's got he does, but he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's a better way to tell that story anyway, I think. Yeah. I I love, as maybe fucked up as it sounds, is the fact that Hiroto reveals he's like, I never liked my mother, and just fucking kills her right before they start fighting. Oh, yeah, like, it just makes him like this fucking sociopath in a way that I think makes him completely irredeemable and makes you even more so be like, fuck this guy. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. And that's exactly what that's there for. Um I, that that was such a badass moment to start the fight. Like, all right, you know, there there really is no holding back here. But on a know. serious note, uh, not enough Krang, two out of ten. <laughs> There's never enough Krang. But um, I love the fight. I like that it just, what's really cool about it, and obviously is designed this way, is we go all the way from the very tip top of Hiroto's tower, and the fight just descends, descends, descends all the way down to the lowest part, which would be considered the sewers. And that's where Hiroto meets his demise. And it's obviously there's a level of scripted irony in that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed that fight a lot. And I thought, I thought that that was a good payoff. It's a great end capper. Yeah. So do you think that the scene with Mikey and his brothers is an afterlife, a parallel universe, or a memory? Which one um, do you think it is? 
I mean, like, at, at the end of the day, that really delves into, like, what your feelings on an afterlife are. And it kind of go. I think that's, like, just something he saw as he was passing. Like, you know, when people and a lot of people will say, like, what, like, the quote-unquote, I saw the light I went to heaven actually is, is, like, your brain releasing dopamine as you die to, like, make you drift off happily. Hmm. And maybe that's not the nicest explanation, but I think it's kind of nice. And I, I think that's what it is. See, I... I would think that, but he had that same exact image as a dream in the very first comic. He literally had that same dream. Yeah. Look, he's a turtle who is mutated by ooze, so let's just say heaven exists in this world and he's happy. Well, that's the thing. Maybe maybe that's what the writers wanted wanted to depict is like maybe this isn't the true end. Maybe there's a place where he and his brothers and master splinter and casey jones are all reunited and they're happy yeah which it's a nice sentiment yeah and the thing is one thing i really like about whatever this is is when you see the four turtles they aren't like this big brutish muscular rippling turtles that they're just like they're their young selves, like, in, in yeah. their prime, just, like, happy and fit and, yeah. Yeah, they're the turtles that we're accustomed to seeing in most of the comics and the TV show and stuff. They're they're not bulky. They're they're just young guys, you know, and they're happy. And it makes me think, like, I don't think it's a parallel universe, probably. I think it's either, like, a memory or an afterlife. Sure. I could see it being a memory, too, but... Uh, it wouldn't make sense like why Mikey would wake up in a bed and the others would be waiting for him to get out if it was anything other than what you're describing or an afterlife. Yeah. So, um, I really like that sequence a lot. So what do you think, Rich? Will we see new issues continuing this universe's storyline? And the reason why I ask that is the obvious ending where we see Casey Jones Jr. Um, and April raising four new turtles. I think absolutely not. Why do you say that? Uh, well, because Eastman and Laird fucking do not like each other 900% of the time. The fact that they were working on this together alone <laughs> is like the most unlikely thing in the world. Hmm. I think this is the like they wanted to do to do an end capper story for the characters they created. And I think this is the last time we will see this storyline continued because I think it's the last time they are going to work on a Turtles thing together. That's that's a shame. I would, I mean, like, I would love to see a continuation of this where Casey Jones Jr. becomes the sensei and she's the one who imparts the mutagens to them. I, I think it would be interesting, um, but also, like, I think this is nicer as, like, a tie to bow on it story. Um, and also, the, the thing is, I, I, I'm confidently going to say Eastman and Laird will never continue it, and I don't think anyone else will continue that storyline out of respect for it being the last thing they did together for the Turtles. Yeah, and maybe this is a case where it's better to imagine what the future could be for that than to actually receive it. Yeah, sometimes sometimes your imagination of it. You, we could do it. We could make that comic. Why not? Let's uh, stop the recording. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we do that, Rich, I have one more question for you. This is a question we ask at the end of every one of these podcasts. Would you recommend this comic book series to somebody? And if so, who would you recommend it to? If not, why? Um, I'd recommend it to anyone who has any fondness for the turtles, which is a lot of people. 
um even if you're not familiar like you, you were not familiar super familiar with the turtles comics going into this but you found something to like here it is a super different kind of story for people that are just used to say like the cartoons but it's characters that a lot of people grew up with being told by a, a story being told by the people who created them for the first time in a long time um and it's just really gripping it's got beautiful artwork um i i ordered the the hardcover collection of this five issue event um and it's gonna be a fun display piece that i'm really excited to own yeah yeah i i will say this simply that yes as someone who's not a big comic book fan um who or i should say i haven't gotten into comics um I was really glad that this is one of the first ones that I've ever started with. Maybe I'll get into comics a little bit here and there from here on out. Maybe not. I don't know. But I'm happy to was... send some recommendations your way, and so are our patrons, and you know that. Yeah, that's true, and I appreciate it. Um, this was a welcome opening to the world of comic books, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, it was it was a limited series, which was nice. Like It's not a long-term investment. And it's something that I was really into in my past and haven't been into as much lately. And it was a really cool, different take on something that's usually been a happy, cheerful, funny series. Um, It was a complete different depiction of that. And as you said before, has the original creators backing that up, which is even better. That was what their original vision was, which is what's so funny is like the original turtles comics are incredibly gritty and gory. Then they, they, they made the cartoon, which totally flipped it on its head, which is, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But that, that is the thing people know the turtles for. In fact, how much the cartoon changed their depiction is a big part of the reason the two of them didn't work together again for many, many, many years. You know, that makes sense. That makes sense. But, um, I, yeah, I, here's all I'll say. I recommend it. Check it out. Um, it's a really good, fun time, and I think that there's a lot of value there for a lot of people, especially because it's it's a good intro comic book series, I would say. And I think for anyone who has it, I think the first three issues are on Comixology. They're all, all five of them should all be. All five of them point. are? I mean, I got all I think mine. There, I think there's a release window through Comixology where they don't come out right away. I, so I oh, don't okay. think four and five are up there yet, but the first three definitely are. I thought the first four were because, like, that's how I, I got could, mine I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Who knows? Who knows? But um, I got mine for, for my Kindle, and that's how I read them. So I, I hope to someday possibly invest in getting the, the hard copies of them. Yeah. I read them through a website that was definitely legal, um, but I had also already pre-ordered the hardcover copy, so I don't feel bad about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you spent the money already. Yeah. But, yeah, this is a great intro comic. It's great to see kind of like, we've already kind of spoiled it for you what happens, but um, if you haven't read it and you enjoyed this, I would highly recommend you go and read them because... And it's a comic book, so 90% of the fun is looking at the panels and the fucking amazing artwork. Exactly. Exactly. So, the artwork was pretty good on this. I was pretty impressed. It's really good stuff. Yeah. So, check it it out. Uh, We've been... uh, Specifically, I've been really excited to do this. This this cat for a while now. I've been really patiently waiting for that final issue to come out. It had been delayed like three or four times. 
and I was I was excited to sit down with Rich, and I'm sure he was kind of perplexed. Shay wants to talk about a comic book series more than I want to talk about. But I was it. like, "Fuck yeah, yeah, yeah! Why not?" So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that we chose to do this episode. It's one I've been waiting to do for a while. Hell yeah, yeah. Well, uh, just as a quick reminder, if you want more content from us, head over to SoreChomp.com, where we have other podcasts, primarily video game centered. But um, we have three other podcasts there. We have an article section where you can read uh, video game reviews and deep dives of other things video game related. Um, We have a merch store where you can buy some stuff and rep us. And we have a Patreon page. You can check all that out at the site, again, at swordchomp.com. So um, check us out there if you want more content from us. But I want to say thank you, first and foremost, to you the listener for checking out this episode. I want to say thank you to rich for joining me for this really fun conversation. Um, I want to say thank you to the creators of this limited run of this comic book series. It was a, it was a really good one to read. I'm kind of sad that it's over, but um, I really enjoyed my time with it. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with another episode here shortly. So uh, thank you so much for checking us out and take care. And rich say, as the turtles say, pizza time i mean that one too yeah i was thinking the other one big apple 3 a.m cowabunga (laughs) there we go i knew what you wanted me to do the whole time let's get out of here yep take care